Hello and welcome to Women of the Middle East podcast. Women of the Middle East. This podcast relates the realities of Arab women and their rich and diverse experiences. It aims to present the multiplicity of their voices and wishes to break overdue cultural stereotypes about women of the Middle East. My name is Amal Malki. I'm a feminist, scholar, and educator. This is Women of the Middle East podcast. This is season four, Women Voices Across Genres, where I will be speaking to women producing feminist content across different genres and outlets. These courageous voices delve into untapped areas such as women with disability, hybrid identities, intergenerational trauma, feminist narrative and activism, and much, much more. I'm your host, Amal Malki, contributing to creating a new narrative about us by us. This is Women of the Middle East podcast. Our guest in this episode is Aziza Nate Sibaha, who is a journalist and a senior TV anchor and editor-in-chief at France 24 news channel, public speaker, trainer, and a gender diversity advocate, many, many areas to cover and many things to talk about. She's also the founder of Taja Sports, a media platform dedicated to women's sports in the MENA region created in March 2021. Aziza, lovely to have you on Women of the Middle East podcast and congratulations on your recent Fatma Bint Mbarak's Women's Sports Award, being the Arab world's best sports journalist. Thank you so much and thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be with you, Amal. It's a pleasure having you. Uh, Aziza Taja as a platform is um, unlike any other platforms. It's focused on women, but women in the MENA region specifically, and in a public sphere that has been heavily dominated by men. Tell me more about why you founded Taja. Well, as you said, um, um, I'm a gender equality advocate. So I've been I've been doing this for many years as a keynote speaker. I'm doing also this in my shows myself, trying to shed light on different women in different uh, areas. And um, I started um, meeting with some sportswomen and champions and hearing their stories. And I was hearing exactly the same thing. Something that is global, by the way, not only in our region, but still in our region, there are other biases, sometimes cultural, sometimes traditional, that will harm uh, in a way their path uh, to the summits. And um, I decided, as I've been a journalist for um, almost 25 years now, to combine with this advocacy for gender equality and my work as a journalist and try to offer uh, even a small platform to those women to do two things actually. One of them is to promote sport among uh, women, all the women of the region, where are more than uh, 200 million uh, women in our region, but also to highlight women's sports achievements. And there are so many uh, in the region as well. Uh, still venturing into an area that first has been exclusive to men in the MENA, second uh, still is controversial as an area for women to practice you know, their agency in, on, um, and three, under traditional scrutiny, uh, as it's, you know, whether it is culturally appropriate or not, a woman, you know, woman in sports. How easy was it to find funding for this project? Um, how easy was it to find um, support, whether you know it's funding or in-kind support for this project? Well, I'd say that it's not easy, 
but it's certainly easier than for the women in the sport fields themselves, the okay. champions, the athletes, etc. But still, I had to uh, fund it myself uh, at the beginning, and uh, because I was trying to discuss with uh, people who could help, and trying even like business women and businessmen, and trying to tell them that they're not should not uh, look at it as a project in a marketing view or a marketing point of view, but they have to think about it as, some, as something to support in a CSR uh, point of view. And um, But I also had the chance actually to meet with some great people, uh, especially starting as we started at Moroccan originally. So I started doing a lot of things at the, uh, in Morocco uh, related to, for, for example, the video content we're doing and the documentary I've done, etc. And I had the chance to meet with some great partners. Um, one of them is a great uh, feminist. Um, his, um, his name is uh, uh, Yunus Mashrafi, and it, he was one of the great guys I called at the beginning. He's the boss of uh, a big company in Morocco. And he told me, you don't need to tell me more. I have a girl and I know that I have to help shape a better future for all the girls. So that was one of the great things. Um, but not easy, of course, because I know that I'm talking about a niche. I'm talking about something that is not really highlighted till now. But I do believe that we all have a responsibility some, somehow and we all have to do something. If it lasts six months, it will last six months. If it lasts for a lifetime, then it's good for all of us. And one of the things I've been told at the beginning was uh, how can you uh, like cover events, sports events for women? There are not that many. Actually, there are a lot of things going on for women's sport. But also, even if not waiting for the countries to develop their strategy towards uh, women's sport, a lot of things has been done by women themselves fighting sometimes alone against all the biases you talked about, tradition or culture or whatever. And uh, they've been doing great things in the, in the MENA region and I'm so, so proud just to shed some light on that. As a Moroccan journalist and a gender equality advocate, tell us a bit more about your documentary, the documentary you produced, and why is it that you covered, you know, that area, these women in specific? Well, um, when we started Teja, uh, we had an online uh, magazine called Teja, Teja Sport Magazine. And we uh, decided because we saw that there is a lack of uh, data on women's sport in all the regions. So we decided that through the website, we will be covering all the events and highlighting all the achievements. But on the magazine, which uh, was issued twice a year, the idea was to go and focus on one country each time to get this data that we're lacking. So we started by Morocco and I met a girl called Rizlan Shibak at that time. She was a footballer, senior footballer in Morocco and she's playing in the national team. So we kept in touch and I was like, I was so surprised that I didn't knew her name before. Uh, even if she, she's done a lot of great things in her career. So I kept in touch and started looking at the national team, the national women team for football in Morocco. And then uh, Morocco was chosen to host the WAFCON, the Women African Cup of Nations. And then if you host, it means that your, your team is qualified directly. So I wanted to make sure people in Morocco know their team 
because I knew that they don't. A uh, lot of lot of the media, sport media, were not really covering women's football. So I was thinking about doing something, and I found the help I needed and went to film a documentary. And um, the uh, the Moroccan Football Association helped me and opened the doors so that I can meet with them and show their stories. So as uh, used to say, uh, um, I didn't do a documentary on sport. I did a documentary on stories, human stories of this team, and it helped actually uh, meet the public and make the public know their team before the WAFCON. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I was so happy because it covered for France 24 the WAFCON, and I was happy to see that all the stadiums were full of people mm -hmm. during the competition. And that's a good thing because it, it uh, comes against the stereotype that women's football does not interest any, anyone. But actually it shows that if as media we do our job, which is covering and highlighting, people will follow. And if people follow, sponsors can follow after. Definitely, yes, yes, makes sense. Um, what do you think the reception of, of um, uh, this documentary in Morocco, do you think it's contributing to a kind of a social change, uh, social norms, um, uh, alteration. Do you think documentaries can really um, alter people's perception uh, of, of gender roles, let's say? I hope so. Actually, I hope so. I think that everything we do can help shift the mentalities, can can help actually change and, and sometimes um, uh, explode those uh, barriers. And we need all of us. Like, I'm not saying that my documentary or any documentary will change uh, lives of people. But if my documentary can just make one girl in Morocco say, oh God, that's good. I want to play football. Then I'm so happy. Like, if I help anyone uh, um, shred the, the, the glass ceiling, then that, that's the thing. So this is why I'm talking about a responsibility. I'm not like, I'm proud of what I've done, but I'm sure, of course, that it's not my documentary that will change things. But again, uh, more than a million people saw the documentary on YouTube between us and our sponsor, but millions saw it on TV because it went on the national TV. So yeah, maybe after after that, uh, a dad or a mom will be convinced that yes, his or her daughter can play football, and it's a good thing. Look, look at the girls; they've, they're, they've become champions now, and they're raising the flag of their country really high, and they're the first Arab country to qualify to the World Cup. So. It's a great thing, but I, I also believe, um, I'm, I've been work, working on TV for 16 years now, and I believe in the power of the image. Mm -hmm. And I think that you can hear things, you can read things, but see them, mm -hmm. that's something that can change things. Oh, uh, I agree with you, uh, the power of image um, and the power of role modeling. And if you can see that, uh, and if our kids can see that, this is a potential future for them as well which is amazing i think one of my girls would would become a footballer <laughs> that would be good that would be good <laughs> okay, let's talk aziza about women in media now your experience as a journalist includes working in morocco canada kenya and france if we just 
reduce it, you know, just for the sake of comparison to East and West. How would you describe your experience as a woman journalist? Okay, in terms of opportunity, reaching upper editorial positions, agency between East and West. What, what do you mean by East and West? Let's assume like as, 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 a, as an Arab woman or as a woman from the MENA region um, who has experience in both East okay, and West. And again, I'm using them just, uh, you know. Uh, what, what do you mean by, like, uh, okay, okay. Mm. Uh, like like what, what we call South and North. South so, and uh, North, as, exactly. As African and uh, as African and uh, as Moroccan. Exactly. Well, uh, let me tell you something. I've been I've been a member of different associations for journalists and women journalists. Um, one of the things I discovered is that women journalists do face exactly the same biases all around the world. That's one of the things. Then we have some specified difficulties that we do uh, um, we do encounter in in our uh, region. It's absolutely we do say uh, usually uh, that journalism is not an easy job. It's not an easy job, and for women and men, by the way. But when you're women, it's a, it's a bit harder because um, you pointed something very important. Being a journalist is a thing. Was being promoted then to uh, an editor-in-chief or to a director of a channel or a newspaper or that's difficult so we saw a lot of women as journalists but the more you go upper in the hierarchy the less you saw them and uh, and that's that's bias it, it it can be conscious or unconscious bias but it's still the same bias for us not easy you have to fight for every inch uh, that you 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 want to have, and um, but what I say is, journalism is uh, one of the jobs you do by passion. Mm. You, you don't become journalist because you think you're gonna earn a lot of money because you will not. But you do that by passion, and passion helps you actually. And in this particular area as well. I think that we're still uh, fighting against a lot of biases. I saw myself, like, I had a lot of uh, men sometimes who went against the fact that I wanted to be promoted or I wanted to be head of a department or, and they were like, she's young, she's a woman, she's whatever. But what I do tell a lot of, because I'm, I'm also um, teaching as a professor in the, um, in, the, uh, in the School of Journalism here in France, but what I do tell the girls, uh, I am meet with is when people are biased towards you, think of something. It's a problem in the glasses they're wearing, not you. So I don't care about how people look at me. I care about who I am, what I'm, I'm, I'm doing, what I'm building. And I built something, I'm trying to build something strong, not only for me, but for others, because I do believe, as you said, in the power of role models and models. And this is why I think that as women in all the areas, we have a huge responsibility, which is to talk about our journey, our career, because that can inspire others, but can help them also feel that they're not alone yeah. facing all the difficulties they're facing. And without romanticizing it, because again, media and the media industry is, is a very tough industry to be in for, again, as a woman. And we know it, that it's a global phenomenon. It's not just in the Arab world, but and I'm going to make an assumption here and please correct me if I'm wrong, that um, 
in the Arab world, there's a lack of protection. So you would see that sexual harassment in the media industry, you know, that women face uh, is much more. Um, now, again, this is an assumption that I'm making, but I would love to hear from you. Do you, do you agree? Yeah, I do agree with you. I think that women in general, not only in media, by the way, are not that well protected in a lot of countries in our region. And they cannot fight against the whole system sometimes. Because sometimes, even if you have the law with you, you will go, for example, to fill a report on somebody. But then how the policeman will react, how the judge will react, how people around will react, telling you how dare you actually that you're taking it to the court for example. So it's absolutely not easy. And as you said, and again, you can have in some countries the law. It's all written there. But do we really use them? Do we really protect uh, the women in those countries? I'm not sure. And what is great in our region is um, women in all our countries learn to fight for their rights. They're not, they're not waiting and crying and asking for help. They're doing it. They're doing it because it, it is time in all, and I'm, I'm just going to take a sports metaphor. It's time for all the women just to leave the bench and go on the field because it's more than time actually to do things. And sometimes we need, you can look at it. When I thought about football, like in Morocco in the 90s, in the 80s, there, there were a lot of women playing and actually playing in the street with boys, etc., etc. When you accept uh, the glass ceiling or the, or, or the glass walls or whatever, you are part of the, the problem. So do not accept them. Do not trigger the negative identity. Not because I'm a woman, I should accept the fact that there are things they cannot do or there are fields they cannot enter to or whatever. No, we have to start with ourselves because sometimes it's not easy to change the others. But if we change ourselves, then we can fight the bias a little bit more and network for that. And that's very important because we will not have the help needed. We have to help each other. We have to lift each other's up. And that's not easy, by the way. Like, for example, when I founded Taja, I started with something genuine. I was thinking that maybe if I go to women, business women first, they will interact with the idea more. Mm. And it was the opposite, actually. A lot of them didn't even want to talk about gender equality. Sometimes it's this Queen Bee syndrome. I'm there, so please do not talk to me about gender equality because I want to fit in and fitting in for them was not talking about them as women. So when I was like trying to tell them that we're trying to do something uh, for women and they were like, yeah, just get on the line. There are a lot of other people asking for help. And I was more um, successful with men feminists than with some women actually. Uh, that for me should be feminist. And in a lot of countries, even in France, when you say I'm a feminist, you have to add but and then explain what it means so that you can you can disarm the threat for people. Same here. Um, and I find it really um, hilarious sometimes uh, when I speak to someone who 
obviously is a feminist, right? All of her work, all of her causes, social justice, um, equality, education for women and children. And then the moment I say, do you perceive yourself as a feminist? She goes like, no, 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 I'm not. So there is, I think... As an educator, I think maybe we need to educate people to what feminism means to us. It's not about burning our bras, definitely. It's not about uh, breaking um, uh, the family. It's not about breaking family values. It's on the contrary. It's about solidifying family values, uh, uh, um, building the values uh, of equality in a family, starting from the family, is the biggest challenge we face here uh, and the biggest achievement we might you know uh, reach to but I, I hear you very well and when you talk about women and women participation in supporting other women it shocks me to the core that they don't maybe one because the field is very narrow and they don't want the competition second it could be that um And I think it, it, it is because patriarchy has no gender. You know, those are yeah. patriarchal mentalities in, in, engraved and, you know, they've been indoctrinated. In, yeah, just exactly in there. And, and it's a pity because we, we really do need each other. Yeah. Uh, like sometimes it's so easy to criticize each other anyway. But... If you think about younger generations, if you think about the other girls and women, then when you have uh, the possibility to be the voice for the voiceless, then please do it exactly. and please help build something. Um, again, I'm saying all what I've been doing for uh, gender equality advocates, it's like it's a small, small thing. But I do think and do believe that if everybody's doing their small part of the job, then the job can be done. Yeah. But if we just quit from the beginning because it's hard, it's not easy, it's not, then we will not achieve anything. And I think that women on top positions do have a huge responsibility. Yeah. And I do tell them not only to help Taja, but to help whatever you can yeah. to uh, fight the bias and the gender bias and do something for, for the other women. Definitely. I, I agree with you. And if each woman just thinks that, um, thinks and, and if, if we need the cause to hit home, uh, think about the daughter you have or you might have uh, um, and, and see the future and, and hope, wish for a better future. Even yourself. I mean, even if you don't have a daughter, uh, just think about yourself when you were a young girl. Mm. Would you like somebody to help you? Would you like somebody to inspire you? To make you just dream of jobs that you might be able to do? That, that's the thing. Yeah. Uh, what I reacted to a daughter is just because we have this other problem, which is that uh, we define women by motherhood. Yes. And I mean, mm. I'm not defined by the fact that I can or cannot uh, have children. And sometimes when we think uh, about uh, women being in a top position and we're like, we're asking her all the time. The first question is, how do you manage between your family life exactly. and your job? Exactly. This does anybody ask this question to a guy in a top position? Never. He's a dad. 
and he should be doing exactly the same thing toward his family than the women. And I'm not, I'm not like, it, I'm not changing and shifting mentalities, but we do have a responsibility. All of us, when, when we have a family, everybody has a responsibility. Uh, and I mean, yeah, uh, and hopefully everybody will play their role, but just stop and did, they did, there's a, an association that did a great job here in, uh, in France and did interviews to mock the interviews where the women and they did interviews with the big bosses, uh, men, and they were asking them exactly those questions like, how do you manage? And did you really believe one day you will be at this position? Or what does that mean for little, the little boy you were? And the guys interviewed were just laughing and they were like, what are those questions <laughs> and they were this is exactly why we ask women so exactly this is why i do not um delete a question uh, as such if it was sent to me in advance on the contrary i let i i allow the journalist to ask it okay so i would not shame her or him but to ch- to try to change the narrative right it's like oh interesting but why am i asked this question is it because i'm a I'm, i'm a woman okay what if i wasn't a mother and besides i i'm with you by the way uh, aziza 100% um one of the earliest remarks that really hit me and people didn't understand why i was annoyed by was uh, the fact that you know any man would come into my office and ask me what should i call you the mother of whom and i'm like what <laughs> yeah my name is amal and you know i'm i'm a professor uh, i'm a dean you can call me professor doctor dean right but uh, no don't reduce me to a certain type or prototype that you understand and know how to communicate with Uh, when I what I meant by the child or the daughter, the inner inner child. Definitely. I know, I know. I just wanted to clarify that point yes. because I know it's important for others. I I know exactly yes. what you think about. Yes, definitely, definitely. I I agree with you. We're on the same page. Okay, now moving on from so media um, uh, journalist, a woman uh, from the MENA region in media, but still living in France. So. Uh, You're living in Europe at a time where the negative sentiments against Muslims are growing, right? And the right movements are gaining political power. How do you see this impacting you as a person, of course, uh, but also as a woman in media? Um, look, um, I, I didn't, I didn't face that me personally, okay? But the good thing, maybe. Um, Well, it, definitely there are populist uh, uh, parties just today gaining actually uh, space in a lot of countries anyway. Um, and we saw that the, uh, the, the right here, the extreme right, was uh, on the second actually position in the presidential elections here in, uh, in France. But uh, I do not focus on that. I just know that here... What I can do is that I can fight for my rights, and they do have rights. Uh, it's uh, come to what we said uh, before. Um, like I know, I'm aware of it, and part of my work also is um, to talk, also uh, to do my job as a journalist to cover everything uh, related to that. And um, it it comes at the end. It comes to something we said before. It's we all of us do have a responsibility. Like when we have an election, I uh, used to talk to people, to women, and say like, 
do you vote? Do you vote? Because if you think that um, extremism is a danger and a threat to our democracy, then you have to vote. And you cannot just uh, give the space and leave the public space and leave your duties and then come to criticize them after. Uh, like in all the areas uh, and privileged areas where it can be a problem for them if, if the, the right and the extreme right uh, comes to power, then also a lot of associations, for example, and NGOs are working there just to give a political conscience and make people vote, for example. So what I think in, is in all our countries, actually, uh, democracy is fragile and we have to fight for it anyway. And the good thing is to fight for it and to fight to have your rights and have them applied when you need them and you can protect yourself. And that, that's how I, I see things. Yeah. Um, you know, I always say that um, as an individual, as a woman who um, who's an advocate, who is an activist, she might be actually safer living in Europe because there is the legal system that protects her, right? But as an individual, but if you are a part of a, an organization, uh, it would be much better to be situated in the Arab world because an, an association or an organization has the power to move things. The individual sometimes don't. And if they do, they, they have, uh, it, it takes longer, you know. Um, do you agree? Like, do you think women activists are, well, if you see the reality and the status quo, there are many women who have left and fled their countries, right? Uh, seeking protection, yeah. because at least they've got the protection, they've got the legal system that ensures the protection of the individual, whether it's a woman or a man. Um, do you think um, we need to flee or do, you need, do we need to live abroad to be able to uh, become activists? No, I will not see that. I, I will not say that because I don't see it. Uh, I know a lot of women activists and great women activists who lived in uh, in my country, Morocco, for example, in Tunisia, in Algeria, in Egypt, for example, and we saw that a lot in the Gulf region, in all those countries. Women have been fighting uh, for decades, uh, if not more, and I, they didn't wait to flee the country uh, to do whatever. When you uh, go to live out of your country, you have reasons to go out of your country, uh, your own reasons, and I'm not uh, shaming or blaming anyone, but you can do things inside and outside. Uh, because yes, definitely you have more, more freedom as women, uh, sometimes outside you have the possibility to protect yourself and sometimes inside it's not easy uh, either. I mean, when you see in some countries where um, uh, rape is, is still present and, and women are still suffering from it until lately they were even sometimes forced to marry the rapist. When you see women who can still be stoned to death in some countries, when you can see women who uh, cannot do so many things that a man can do, then there is a problem. And even if you are on the organization, still is a problem. But the most important thing is just to fight when you can. I'm not saying that all women can should fight because sometimes it's just not easy and it's a threat to your life. And still, 
like Iraq women, we, we saw it in, not not only in the MENA region when you see Afghanistan, Pakistan, etc., and women in India or whatever. Women sometimes are just killed for being women. Women are killed because they said no. Uh, and still today, and we are in 2022, uh, you can be you can be raped because you wanted just to get a spot in your public uh, uh, place and. I think that women are still facing a lot of things, but I do also, because I'm a positive person, do think that women are capable of such huge things and they are doing them. And if all of our countries are where they are now, women participated to it. And if we allow women and if we let women play their, their role and play their job uh, and do whatever they can do, Oh God, how our countries will benefit from all of this. And economically, socially, and whatever. I'm not talking just as a militant or an advocate, but I'm talking even about business, about, uh, about like the, the money we can have. if we Because we have half of the society and sometimes are, are prevented from going to some jobs or whatever. And things can change for our countries in a, in a good way if we just stop, stop really discriminating women. And going back to what you said about uh, going to businesswomen um, and um, that those businesswomen were not interested in sponsoring or funding uh, Taja or, you know, or other women, but in another area or field, uh, I would say it is our ethical role as women organizations and women associations to support women, to, um, uh, to negotiate not the only the law but also the practices of the law to make sure that all women are protected within our societies all women regardless of their backgrounds and um as is, it's always nice to see you i'll bite this time virtually <laughs> i hope next time we i see you in either france or or in doha uh, inshallah it was a very engaging discussion as usual and thank you so much for being with us and uh, women of the middle east podcast thank you so much and thank you for giving uh, exactly giving the mic to women from the region to talk also uh, about what they're doing so thank you so much for everything you're doing amal for for women as well thank you so much Aziza. thank you Thank you for listening and watching. To stay up to date with Women of the Middle East podcast, you can subscribe and don't forget to rate us. If you would like to contact me directly, you can do so on Instagram or Twitter or via email. This is Women of the Middle East podcast.